everyone here and who are watching us outbounds. One question for you to consider. Have you ever asked the question or made the statement, no one understands me? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm going to say it's safe to say that perhaps a majority, if not every single one of us, has made that statement. Nobody really understands me. Nobody knows what I am going through. I've said it from time to time. From time to time, I may be tempted when someone is telling about a particularly difficult situation that they're going through, I understand what you're going through. And you know what their reply should be? No, you don't. You have no idea what I am going through at this time. You live a comfortable life. You don't have any problems. You don't understand. You know, they're true. It's true. Each of us could make that statement, and it would be true, that people that we know don't really understand us. We're in the book of Hebrews. An absolutely fascinating letter. We don't know who wrote this letter. It seems to have all of the earmarks, perhaps, of being written by Paul, but we don't know. But whoever wrote it had a phenomenal grasp on the Hebrew history, and especially as it pertained to the priesthood and the temple. And especially this passage, several months ago when I chose this passage, I was fascinated by it. To comprehend that as it comes down to Verse 18, it says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And every one of us here is tempted in one way or another, at one time or another, perhaps to the lesser, perhaps to a greater degree. To be tempted, the Greek word, which I will save you the mispronunciation of it, means to put to the proof to try the nature or character of one, to be tempted. And we ask the question, well, what really tempts you? Each of us could give our own list, laundry list as it were, of things that really tempt us, things that I would use the term lure, things that lure us. There are perhaps a half a million people or so who are out in the woods right now hunting deer. And they seek to lure the deer in so that they can, I'll put this kindly, so they can kill the deer. Those who are fishers know that just the right lure changes from time to time. Well, that works well for hunters and fishers. But for you and I, we'll understand it when we go shopping. Why is it? that all the best treats are right there at the checkout counter. All the ones that we love. 
chocolate, candy, gadgets, things that are shiny, that lure us in. Why is it that they put the best things in the storefront window and maybe lesser value in the back? Because they lure us in. Is there evil in that? No, it's just good marketing. Well, Satan is a very good marketer himself. What lures us? The best definition of what lures us, if you'd like to turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John, towards the end of the New Testament. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. The Apostle John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and I'm going to stop there and say when he says that all that is in the world, he means all, not just most, but all. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the New King James Version. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the lust and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So everything that's in the world can be boiled down to that nice, neat list of three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it is interesting in connection with what the writer of the book of Hebrews says about Jesus, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Able to help those who are being tempted in all three of these areas. Well, when did Jesus become tempted by these three areas? You ask that question, I'm going to answer it for you. If you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. The context of this is Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. And it tells us that he is led away into the wilderness. And why is he led away into the wilderness? It tells us in verse 1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Which temptation do you think that that is? That would be the lust of the flesh. Imagine fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. I often fast for 40 nights in a row. It's the days that I have problems with. <laughs> but I digress. So he is tempted by the lust of the flesh. But he answered, it is written. Remember these three words, it is written. It's going to come back in our sermon later on. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him in the pinnacle of the temple and said, if... You are the Son of God. Throw yourself down. Which one do you think this is? It's the pride of life. The pride of life. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You should not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And which one of those three do you think this was? There's only one left. 
It's the lust of the eyes. He showed him all the kingdoms. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. What does he say? For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The Gospel of Luke adds a little tag at the end of that, at the end of his temptation. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. All that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, those three Jesus was tempted in, and even more. And if those temptations sound familiar, if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, you'll find that exactly the same temptations were offered to Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And we are told in Scripture that serpent was the devil. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Notice again that this serpent is quoting Scripture, quoting God. The woman said, we, sh we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You see, nothing gets old. Those same three temptations will be used on you and I because all that is in the world is what we'll be tempted by. And Jesus was tempted by those. And Satan has used those over and over and over. And it tells us that Jesus was tempted in the same way that we are. If we go forward into Hebrews chapter 4, by the way, this outline is in your bulletin as well for your use. As the writer of the book of Hebrews relates that Jesus is not like the earthly high priest, but he is the great high priest. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And turning ahead to Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, it tells us, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. It doesn't tell us specifically where this is at. But one can imagine that this is making reference to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32, and if we know our, and understand our Greek, it is interesting that Gethsemane means the press. The press. 
You can imagine how much pressure it takes to squeeze the oil from olives. And in the same way, the pressure that Jesus must have felt. And they went to a place called Gethsemane in Mark 14, beginning in 32. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell down on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you, what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour, watch and pray, that you may not enter to temptation? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And it tells us in another gospel that his tear, his sweat, fell like great drops of blood. It may be true that each of us may not understand what others have gone through. But considering everything that Jesus has gone through, he can make the case that he understands what we go through. Listen to how Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we see that Jesus, as it tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. The next part tells us that he is able to help because of all that he went through for us. Consider what Jude writes. There's only one chapter, so I don't have to say which chapter. But verse 24 says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and great joy, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Paul writes to Timothy what we believe is the last letter that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul's hope and trust was that Christ could guard that for him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, perhaps one of those verses that we will often lay hold of. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning of verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So we see, and, and there are other verses we could, we could come to this, and tell us that he is able to help us in those times of temptation, in those times when the lure seems to be at its greatest. Paul would tell the Church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, And we are not ignorant of the devil's designs. How are we not ignorant? 
Because we know that John tells us that all that is in the world, and what are those three things? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things. We're not ignorant that Satan will use those against us. And forewarned is forearmed. You were a little slow on that one. In Ephesians chapter 6, from a sermon of a few weeks ago, we talked about the armor of God. And as we come down through the armor of God, we come down to verse 17, although it begins in verse 10, we come down to verse 17 and it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And really, if you were to examine all of this armor that comes from God, it all originates from the word of God. Whether you're talking about salvation, whether you're talking about truth, whether you're talking about feet shod with the readiness of the gospel, they all come from the word of God. And remember those three words that I told you remember from Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4? It is written. In every one of those three temptations that Jesus was put forth, he answered it with scripture. And remember, the devil can quote scripture. But Jesus knew the word. It is written. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, and listen to what he says, with knowledge and all discernment. For discernment comes from knowledge. And what knowledge is he talking about? Not memorizing a dictionary or reciting history. He's talking about the knowledge of the word of God so that you may prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Two passages from the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophet of Hosea, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. What? What an accusation to be leveled against him. Isaiah 5.13 tells us essentially the same, same thing. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry and their multitude is parched with thirst. David writes in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin. Some of your versions may say, I treasured up your word in my heart. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your version may say add. Add your faith with virtue, virtue with, listen to what Peter says, knowledge. And with knowledge, self-control. And with self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So it's knowledge in combination with self-control. Look up the term self-control. See how many times that it is contained within Scripture. Learning how to control ourselves in this. 
And the final point that we have is that not only is Jesus suffered and tempted for us, he is able to help. Who is he able to help? Those who are being tempted. Being tempted, knowing our adversary. We are not unfamiliar with the wiles of Satan. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, knowing that, that he goes around like a roaring lion, what ought we to be? Exactly what he tells us. Sober-minded and watchful. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. And how was Eve led astray? Because she succumbed to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We know the wiles of the devil. He will continue on later in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians and say, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. An angel of light. So it is no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. We will not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his design, 2 Corinthians 2.11. Jesus would warn the Pharisees and Sadducees in the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you are of the father of the devil, your father of the devil, and your will is to, is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Be wary of that one. We are being tempted by him. And how does James describe when we are tempted? James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 tells us, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, by our own weaknesses, those things which lure us away. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Those desires, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Why do I keep repeating this? <laughs> because we need to be aware of the wiles of Satan, his ways. Paul writes to the church at Galatian, the Galatian churches. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. He's talking to Christians here. Ephesians chapter 2 tells about, a couple of verses we're going to look at, it tells us what we used to be. In Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But he writes to the church at Colossae, 
Colossians 3, verses 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, so now we come down to, well, how do we resist these temptations? We have a knowledge. We have self-control. But what is James about to tell us and Peter tell us? Can it really be that simple? James chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Read verses 7 and 8. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can it be that easy? Well, James is an inspired writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for all scripture is breathed out by God. Can it really be that easy? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you? Resistance involves self-control. It involves having a knowledge of what he is trying to do for you. To you, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We read the beginning of this next passage earlier, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We're also going to read verse 9 now. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Not just one, but two. But we also have Jesus' quote in Matthew chapter 4. Be gone, Satan. Could it really be that easy? To fight those powers of the air that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. Things that we cannot see that are going on. Yes, we can. Resist the devil. We are closing in on the end of the year. And if you have been following, and I pray that you have been following in our reading of the New Testament, it is having a knowledge of God's word. And I pray that you will continue on. If you have not been following along, start now. Encouraging people to read the word of God, to know the mind of God, know who is God and what he expects and desires of us. And just how great this high priest is that we now have. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And I wonder if in the depths of my heart that I can truly understand what the Gospel of John writes in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, Whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved. We're not talking about this dirt and rocks that we walk on or the trees that we see. That's beautiful. What God truly desires is you and I. You and I are the world. He loved us so much, he gave his only son. And that only son suffered and died in ways that we simply cannot comprehend.
So we say, well, nobody really understands what I'm going through. That may be true. Nobody understands when I'm brokenhearted. Imagine how brokenhearted Jesus was. It tells us in John chapter 1 that he came to the world, but the world did not know him. And when he was rejected by all people and deserted in the end, imagine the loneliness he must have felt. Hanging on the cross when he declared, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In our loneliness can we comprehend what that loneliness must have been like. And we can only come to the conclusion when we look at the life of Christ and what he endured for you and I, that he truly does understand everything that we go through and everything that we are tempted with. And what's more, he desires to call you and I brothers, and really brothers and sisters. He desires that for you and I. And God desires that we should all come to a knowledge of him and make that declaration that we want to spend eternity with him by belief, repentance, confession, and submitting to that watery grave of baptism. God desires you and your heart, not just your physical body, but your heart. We extend the invitation at this time. We pray that if there's anything that you need or you desire, or if you need the help of the congregation here in any way that we can help, let us know as together we stand and sing. Heal the temptation, oh.